0: Speaking of friendly, uh, I have a friend of mine named Chris who's joining me up on stage today as we get into the Word. Uh, Chris is one of our awesome worship team members. Uh, say thank you for to Chris for the way he leads us in worship. <laughs> Holding it down on the bass, I heard some of those lines you were playing today, that was pretty good. Um, he makes me remember that I've got a lot of work to do whenever I get behind the bass, so... Um, So thanks, Chris. But uh, also thanks in advance for this illustration you're going to help me with today. Um, I asked him if he would help me with an illustration. I didn't tell him what it was. He's not going to be happy about it in a minute. Um, (laughs) But um, love Uh, (laughs) you. But I I want to just start with a question. Do you ever feel like... Life in general, maybe God, sometimes, uh, maybe other people in the world, have asked you to just carry a lot of stuff, right? You ever just think about everything that you carry and put that into perspective? I want to talk about everything that you carry today, but in order to talk about everything that you're carrying, uh, we we have to, uh, we have to illustrate this. I want you to see a little bit of what this feels like. I'm, I'm gonna no, it's too heavy. Okay, I'm just gonna leave it there. Chris, why don't you come closer? In fact, why don't you just stand right there and just, I I want you to help me illustrate uh, this this idea today. Because when I was thinking about life, I was thinking about everything that I'm carrying and that you're carrying and the things that we carry as individuals, I started thinking about some of the different things that we carry. I I made a list and I, I might ask you guys to help me. In a minute. So each of these books is going to represent something that, that Chris is carrying, and you can be thankful that you're not carrying literally the same things that he is carrying. So let's, let's just begin with like relationships, right? You're a married man, you got a relationship with your wife, it's a pretty good relationship, but you have other relationships too. There's like more, more people in your life that you have relationships with. That's, that's a whole book just of relationships, right? And sometimes some of those chapters you just want to skip. Right, that can be its own thing. Then there's then there's family issues. Uh, let's let's add on to family issues, uh, kids, in in laws. <laughs> um, that that got a bigger laugh than I was expecting. <laughs> Guys need this sermon. Uh, <laughs> your job. Let's put your job in there, right? Some of you are like, don't put my job in there. Uh, Bills, that's a big book for Bills. He's already holding it with two hands, guys. Um, A couple more Bills. Gas prices. Gas prices. (laughs) That one's politics. Oh, that one got a groan. Uh, the war in Ukraine the lingering trauma of COVID-19 stop laughing now that one was health issues organizational development what's this one Oh, yeah, this is the general sense that there's probably sin in your life. What else? What are you carrying? Call some stuff out. Personal issues, the reality that you probably need a therapist who knows Jesus. Right? What else? What are you carrying? Fear. Put that in there. Anything else? I got four more issues here. Oh, Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, oh, anything else? Anything else? Uncertainty about the future, get that in there. What else? Trauma, trauma, last one. Other people's expectations. Get that out of here. Oh, my gosh. Anybody just need to, like, go to bed right now? (laughs) Not just because the time changed. Here's, Here's the thing. The odds that you can relate to this admittedly silly illustration are pretty high. I started looking at some statistics recently in preparation for this message. A 2021 report from the Kaiser Family Foundation shows that from January to June in the year 2019, 11% of adults in the United States reported symptoms of anxiety and depressive disorder. That was before the world did what it did, right? So that was January to June of 2019, 11% of adults. By January of 2021, that number had jumped from 11% to 41.1%. So four in 10 people, give or take, are struggling with depression and anxiety. And this report only focused on anxiety specifically related to health as a result of a global pandemic. It jumped that much in a year. This is this is a year-old study, by the way, because now we're going to add on top of all of that a contentious social and political environment, the threat of potentially World War III, and we somebody mentioned something about inflated gas prices, right, w- which who knows when those will go back down. I would guess that more than half of the people in this room and watching this online would be able to say that they are feeling some kind of anxiety and stress right now when they think about the life that they're living. And you've been carrying this for some time because just as the world begins to feel like it's going to, I don't know, maybe you would say open up. Maybe you would say go back to some sense of normal. Maybe you would say we were just discovering a new sense of normal. I heard one person say, right when COVID-19 decided that you could leave your house and go back to normal, the gas prices told you that you were wrong, (laughs) right? It feels a little bit like it's just one thing after another. And what eventually happens to us as human beings is that we get... Tired? You getting a little tired? A little bit? Well, I have more to talk about. It's, let's 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 see what Jesus has to say about all of this. There's good news for you. It's coming. I'll take my time getting there, though. Um, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this incredible thing to to the crowd of people who were listening to him, starting in verse 28. He says, "Come to me, all of you who are weary." And burdened, and I will give you rest. Take, my, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So today what I want to do is share with you just a simple message that I think will give you, I hope will give you some encouragement. And maybe some hope in the middle of your own uh, basket of books that you are carrying. But first, let's put this passage in context. What do you say? Because you just should hold that a little bit longer. Uh, So here's the context. Jesus is frustrated because there were people who were listening to him try to teach and do ministry, and there were people who just were absolutely missing the point. So he actually ends up rebuking the crowds of people who were listening to him for their lack of faith. And then... He prays this prayer right before the passage of Scripture that I read to you a moment ago. And and here's, here's what he says. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. That's Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 27. Then right after that, we have the passage that I read to you a moment ago where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And then he goes on from there, and he's taking a walk through some fields with his disciples. It happens to be the Sabbath day. There were a lot of rules surrounding the Sabbath. It's a day of rest for God's people. It was actually designed by God for a, as a gift for God's people. But he believes in this so much that he turned it into, he actually made it a command. But then the religious leaders took the word command, and they turned it into a, a really rigorous law, and they added a bunch of stuff onto it, so much so that you could only walk a certain number of paces on the Sabbath before, you were required to take a rest for a certain amount of time before you could then walk another uh, maximum amount of paces, which was a very small number. Uh, they had turned it into a religious burden for the people. I saw you—you t- you took one out of the basket. You cheated. It, he said, "It won't fit because your hand is is too big." You found a way. Life found, finds a way. It's gonna fall. It's <laughs> gonna. He's, just gonna, he's like, move on. So Jesus is walking through this field on the Sabbath. He starts eating some of the grain from the of the wheat from the fields. And, and the Pharisees see it and they go, bro, it's the Sabbath. You can't be doing that kind of thing on the Sabbath. What are you, what are you up to? And he schools them on the Sabbath and, and corrects their thinking. You can read the rest of that if you dig into Matthew chapter 12. It's really good. I encourage that you spend some time reading the Bible, especially the stuff that Jesus does and is a part of, which just for the record is Genesis to Revelation. Just read the whole book. Uh, but here's what we see is that we see Jesus. Jesus is actually making an invitation in the middle of people who don't understand the gift of Jesus' presence in their life. He's frustrated, but he also understands that this is something that God has designed for it to be this way that only Jesus would reveal the work of God and the kingdom in our lives in a way that we could actually understand. And then he's also committing, he's also calling people or inviting people to commit themselves to religious rules in order to, um, in order to, uh, to live in relationship with God rather that, so like have a proper view of the Sabbath rather than doing things like the Sabbath and religious rules in order to make God happy with you. This is what Jesus is trying to restructure for our lives. So today I just want to talk to you about three ways that God gives us an invitation in this passage that we read to you a moment ago. And the first one is something that is going to make Chris very happy. The first invitation is for the weary to find rest in Jesus. And now, I want you to notice something, that that Jesus is not simply hoping that the weary would go to him. He is calling us, that this is an open invitation to all people who are experiencing weariness to find rest in Jesus. Right? So for everyone who is working for personal gain and worried if you'll have or if you'll be enough, for everyone who is striving for God's grace and favor or carrying stress or anxiety in your heart or, or pain in some way in your body, uh, who is pressed down by the weight of sin, for all of us, Jesus sees us and then he, he sees us as we are carrying our heavy burden and he actually, he actually makes this invitation to say, come to me, come to me and Mark is going to help me out here because I only have one hand available to me. Uh, He he says, come to me and rest. And and so, so Chris, would you show our friends what it would look like for you to rest? I give you permission to sit. But I need you to keep holding that because that's still your mess. I don't want this one to get away from you before it's time. So good. How, how you feeling? If you couldn't hear it, friends online, when he sat down, he went. <sighs> could you? I think you could hear it from the front four rows. Jesus invites us to rest. It's better like this, isn't it? It's much better just sitting down. Got all your burdens on your lap. Not holding them in midair. They're not kind of falling around anymore. Yeah. It's going to begin to get a rhythm of breathing back to normal again. Jesus invites us to sit down, to rest, to breathe. Just like take a breath for a second. This is what grace feels like it goes from holding a heavy burden and trying to muscle your way to persevering. It goes from that to just rest. You don't have to impress Jesus. You don't have to earn his favor or grace. You just get to sit down. Rest allows us to receive the forgiveness, the the lighting, the lightening of our burden and our load, As not as a reward for all of the good work that you've done, but as a free gift. When we put our faith in Jesus, he invites us to Sit with him. We, we've actually studied this last year as we were studying the first portion of Ephesians in chapter two. Uh, Paul writes, "You are saved by grace, not by his work." Chris didn't get to sit down, but by grace. Just in, in just in case you're wondering, in this illustration, I'm going to play Jesus a couple of times. That doesn't play out in reality. It's just an illustration. Okay. So when I brought the chair up, and Marcus helped me. Um, That was the grace that I let him sit down. He didn't earn that. Verse 6, Paul says, He also raised us up and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not from works, so that Chris can't boast. Now, notice that Paul emphasizes who does the work. It's always Jesus, right? We're seated in Christ Jesus. We're not seated because of ourselves. We are seated in Christ. We are covered by the blood, the grace, the forgiveness, the love of Jesus. So, again, just a a side note this does not mean that we become Jesus. We are not like. Like many versions of God walking around, that we don't become deity as we are seated in the heavenlies. The only reason we could do anything that even mirrors anything near anything that Jesus ever did is because of his grace and the full fulfilling of and the filling of the Holy Spirit, right? It's always God, he always gets the credit, amen. Okay, but. It's not simply enough for us to sit. Jesus isn't satisfied for us to just sit down. This is where we actually read in 1 Peter 5-7 where we're told, Cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. Or, in Hebrews 12.1, says, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and then let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. See, when Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, he inv- he's inviting Chris to sit down but he's also inviting us to have our burdens removed from us. That's a good word. Now, now this is interesting. You can, you can clap if you need to clap. That's a good word. But this, this is interesting because a lot of times we'll come to Jesus and we'll go, no, 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 Jesus, I just really need to carry these burdens. I'm thankful for the chair. But I understand you've got a lot on your plate, Jesus. Or I understand that I really actually made this mess myself, right? And Jesus says, let me carry the burdens. Cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. And I love that God can keep his promise because he never gets weary the way that we get weary when we have to carry our burdens. For example, in Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 28, it says... Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And so if you came to church today or if you didn't even come to church today for whatever reason and you're joining us online or you didn't even watch this live and you're watching this later, if you find yourself for whatever reason to be weary and carrying heavy burdens, Jesus is the one inviting you to rest and actual relief. This is Jesus. A, a practical step to respond to this invitation would look something like confession. Naming any sin that we're carrying, but also naming any burden that we feel is holding us in weariness. Once we've confessed our weariness and our burdens and our sins to Jesus, we then pray, telling Jesus that we place our faith in him. This is the act of sitting down in the spirit. God, I I sit on you. I I rest on your word. I trust you, and I receive your rest and your grace. And then we surrender. We actually give over our burdens, the, the control of our burdens, which, by the way, doesn't always mean that the burden just disappears, We don't actually believe that Jesus will magically take all of your burdens away from you and pay all of your debts. But he'll... Someone said, "Mm mm-hmm, like they knew that that was the truth. I believe that God wants his people to prosper. I don't believe that God is a genie. Right? Right? And so sometimes when he says, let me take that burden from you, let me carry that from, for you, and, and you don't have to carry that, what he'll take from you is the fear. What he'll take from you is the shame that you're not enough. And what he'll give you is wisdom so that you know the next step that you're supposed to take. And then sometimes, let's not get this twisted, sometimes, many times, often, he will also give his people miracles. Right? But it was a miracle just that you got to sit. It was a miracle just that you got invited. Because you know what you did to deserve to be invited to sit? Nothing. You didn't deserve it. So we surrender to God's plan for how we will then move forward from rest. We have to consider what physical steps we should take to enter into rest. Maybe we need to resist old sources of medicating our pain. Maybe you've become addicted to food or Internet or TV or games or social media or other kinds of uh, resources to dull the pain of thinking about the weariness and the weight. And God would say, let me take all of that from you as well. It's actually good for you to feel because if you feel the pain, you'll know that it matters when I heal it. then I would say that we need to replace habits that weigh us down with habits that bring us life. Read Scripture. Pray without ceasing. Build relationships with people in your church community who love God, who love the Word, who will walk with you. Sit. And rest. Before we move on to the second point, can we just, just take a deep breath? Just just one good. <sighs> Doesn't that feel nice? Jesus is the one who invites us into a place of rest. And that should actually have tangible ramifications on our life. But Jesus is also the one whose invitation is for the stagnant to find fresh purpose in Jesus. Because the thing is, God wants God wants Chris to sit. God wants Chris to rest, but God doesn't want Chris to die here. God's not done with Chris, right? So we are first invited to lay down our burdens and rest, and then we are invited to pick something up. Now, I don't have one of these today as an illustration, Uh, but but what what he invites us to pick up, listen to actually what he says. He says, take up my yoke. Just, just for the for the context, do you remember when it was on the screen earlier, Matthew eleven, uh, when Jesus says, "Take up my yolk, it's yoke," it's Y O K E, not Y O L K. Y O L K is egg yolk, and Jesus does not care if you take up an egg yolk. What Jesus is talking about is a farming implement. This is the kind of uh, implement that maybe you've seen a couple of cows or oxen with with a big piece of wood that goes over the top of their necks. There's usually two of them, and their heads kind of poke through the middle of it like somebody in the stocks, and, and they are dragging something behind them. Uh, a lot of times this will be a, a plow, a resource to till the field of the person who owns The field and also the field workers and and the oxen. And so the yoke is the thing that you put over your neck so that you will do the work. Now Jesus, the audience, would have absolutely understood the implication of this because they would have seen it not only as a farming tool used for work in fields, they would have also seen it as a cultural symbol of servitude and slavery. And Jesus used this illustration on purpose. Because he is inviting us, as he says, take up my yoke, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. He's saying where a yoke of the world will bring you more weariness, the yoke that I offer you brings you rest. But this is an invitation to get back to work. A different kind of work. A work from a place of rest, rather than trying to gain rest. This also means that after receiving rest in Christ, our work must be for him because we're yoked in him. It's his yoke. So it's his work. From rest, we begin to work in God's field for his purpose. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us some things about that. Remember about how we're seated in heavenly places with Christ? Well, that passage actually goes on to get to verse 10, and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So it's not enough that Chris gets to sit down. He also has to get to work. Right? Right? Now this is the work that we would call the work of evangelism. Like in Matthew chapter nine, verse starting in verse thirty-seven, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. Do the work of evangelists, share the good news with people. This is what Pastor Danny was leading us in earlier. But then this is also the work of caring for fellow workers. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, let us not get tired of doing good. Or one passage, one translation says, don't grow weary in right doing. For we will reap a harvest at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So your work, Chris, as you sit in rest, you work from a place of rest God having taken your burdens and saying, buddy, let me worry about this. Right? Let me handle all of this. You do my work. And my work is the work of an evangelist and care for the church. And I don't care if you're not a pastor. I don't care if you didn't go to Bible college. I don't care if you've only known me for a minute. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus said, Everything that he needed to say to her to bring her into the kingdom. And she became one of the earliest New Testament evangelists. She ran into town and said, come with me. Meet a man who told me everything about me. Because he knew everything about me. And he was offering rest and to carry her burden. And then he sent her to work. There's multiple stories like that, right? But Jesus also tells us to learn from his example. I'm going to make you stand up in just a second here, Chris. Jesus says, take up my yoke, and he says, learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The way that Jesus carries the yoke is how we are meant to carry the yoke. And that's significant, because that means that Jesus is carrying a yoke. Jesus is not a slave master who does no work. He's a king who invites you to do work with him in his field. If you actually look at the original language here for the word yoke that Jesus is using in the original definition in the Greek, and you, if you dig into the root of this word, one of the actual words, the defining words, is that a yoke is a coupling tool. Because it would be, under, it would be understood to his hearers, his audience, when Jesus says, take up my yoke, they would have immediately pictured a yoke with two animals' heads in it. And Jesus doesn't say, take up my yoke, stick your head in this yoke, and start working in my field all by yourself. In fact, he says, take up my yoke with me, and we'll walk together. Right? Did you catch this? Now, for, for when, we, when we illustrate this in a second, um, I'm going to need you to bend down. Because you're taller than me, okay? Otherwise, it just won't work as an illustration, okay? But but have you ever run a three-legged race? We're not going to do it right now. Okay, so f- not the first time you're going to do it today. But a three-legged race would look like this. We get our, our legs tied together like this, right? And then and then what do we have to do? We have to get to the finish line. and And who gets to lead? Neither one of us, right? What happens if Chris just runs out ahead of me? Chris is taller than me, and, and if he gets the right angle on it, I'm going down, and I'm getting dragged to the finish line, right? And Chris is a strong fella. He could probably do it. So, so here's what Jesus is wanting us to do, is, is he says, when you take up the yoke, think of it like a three-legged race. That's the modern illustration of what, for the animals, get down a little bit. Okay, for the animals, they would, the Jews would have understood, his audience would have understood, oh, they got to have their heads together. Yes. And they got to move at the same pace. So if, if I'm Jesus in this illustration and we're going left, which way is Chris going? Right? Now, if we're going to go right, I'm going to, okay? Now, here's what happens. Jesus says, be lowly and humble of heart. That's how I want you to learn from me. Right? So if I'm lowly and humble of heart and Chris decides to stand up tall, what happens? We're not in alignment. Now, if I want to start walking, now I'm dragging him. And in this illustration, I'm Jesus, so I'm stronger than him. Right? So use your imagination. But if I start walking and he's not in alignment, I'm either dragging him or he's going to break the yoke. Right? Jesus says, be lowly. Another word uh, in English that gets translated in a lot of our Bibles, it might be in your translation, is gentle. Be gentle. Be humble. So Jesus says, when you walk, learn to walk my way. I will be with you. We We are tied at the hip, at the neck, at the leg. We are together in this. And when I step, you step with me. Don't get out ahead of me. And don't get behind me. We will go together because Jesus is inviting us into a balanced rhythm of learning his, what Eugene Peterson uh, phrases it in his uh, paraphrase of this text. He calls it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This should become easy for you. At, At first, was it easy when you first became a Christian? Was it easy for you to learn how to walk like Jesus? No, you were terrible at it. You were trash at walking in the rhythm of grace. But then you learn to walk. Just like in your physical life, you were terrible at actually walking. But you kept walking. And eventually, you began to learn the rhythm. And then when Jesus is pushing you over this way, you just go that way. Because that's the way you know. You know how to follow Jesus' lead, Right? I mean, I'm directing this guy in all kinds of ways, right? I'm just putting a little pressure on his shoulder right here, and he knows we're just going to go this way. I'm just going to nudge him a little bit this way, and we're going to go this way, right? In fact, why don't I just pat you on the back and tell you you can go actually sit down now and stop making me force you to do stuff. Say thank you to Chris. I couldn't have done that without you, bro. But when Jesus says, take up my yoke and learn from me, our work is to work and walk with Jesus, not by force, but to be gentle and to be humble. When we try to earn God's favor, we get out of step with Jesus, and we just find that we've lost rest in our souls. If we try to do kingdom work in arrogance and pride, like we've got it all figured out, we get out of step with Jesus, and we fail to offer other people the rest that Jesus promises to them. And as we work in Jesus's kingdom, We never have to worry if Jesus is pleased with our work because he's right there with us doing the work. So if you find that you've been living out of step, if the burden has become heavy in your Christian walk with Jesus, why is this so hard? I thought Jesus was going to make everything about my life easy. Jesus is the one inviting you to come back and learn his rhythm. You need to humble your heart. And I would say this because I love you, because I need to hear it in places in my own life as well. We need to do a practice called repentance. This means to name what is wrong, to turn and begin to walk in another way. Repent of any way that you've tried to force the work of God in your life. Maybe you've become religious and performatively so. Look at me, God. Look at how good I am at working in your name. Or maybe you've tried to force the kingdom of God onto other people. You would need to repent of that kind of behavior because Jesus doesn't come as an invader. He stands in a field and says, come and work with me. I'll give you rest. So then you need to engage the working of Jesus or working with Jesus in fresh ways in your life. A great place to start, and I know this is going to sound almost self-serving and how practical it is, but a great place to start practicing serving Jesus and working with Jesus is to serve in your local church. Join the greeting team. Serve in Life Kids. Join the media or the worship team. Help out in youth ministry. If you don't know where you'd be good at serving, talk to Pastor Mark. We actually have resources that would help you discover your practical and spiritual gifts. We'd love to help you figure that out. And then another great step is to find ways to serve with your church outside of the church. Sign up to serve at Grace Resource Center. We serve them meals regularly. Organize an outreach event with some friends to meet a practical need in the Antelope Valley. And then invite some church friends to join you in that effort. Or get to know a local barista or server at the Denny's that you like to go to. Once it's not super weird that you would ask this question, offer to pray for them. Invite them to church. Do all of those things. But as you serve, remember that we work with Jesus from rest, not to gain God's favor. So Jesus' invitation is for the weary to find rest and for the stagnant to find fresh purpose. And And then finally, the third thing that we see here is for the faithful to find a sustainable rhythm of kingdom work. And the final piece of his invitation, Jesus says this, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the work that we are called to do with Jesus is not meant to become its own burden all over again. There's this temptation to to work uh, or to turn our work with Jesus into some new kind of burden. We make all these rules. This is what the Pharisees were really good at. And there are a lot of us. And there's some of the Pharisees in me as well. There's a lot of us in the church. But the Apostle Paul talks to this. In fact, when when Paul was writing to the Christians in Galatia, he was taking issue at one moment with how they had turned their faith into this kind of like performative religion. And in chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians. Paul doesn't pull his punches, ever. He says, Who cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. He goes, answer this question for me. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, obviously, the answer is we didn't receive it by works. We, re- we received the Spirit of God by believing what we heard. And then in verse 3, he says, are you so foolish that after beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing in f- if in fact it was for nothing he says it, it might as well be that you're discounting your entire journey so far that when Jesus called you to rest you get to sit down and then he says cast all your burdens on me and he says let me help you figure this out let me do the worrying and i'm so good i'm not even going to worry while i'm doing the worrying for you let me handle all of that and then i'm calling you to stand back up and get back to work have you forgotten how good it was how much of a miracle it is for you to have been invited to sit and work with me that now you've turned it into another kind of religion that is just empty and you're trying to earn something all over again. We enter the kingdom of God in humility and we're given rest in a new way of living. To begin in the spirit and to end in the flesh means that we have gone from rest to performance. We've gone from receiving a gift to trying to To earn favor. Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if it ever stops being easy and light, then God's not the one who changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is not simply inviting us into a moment of rest but into picking up a new rhythm of rest. Remember again what Eugene Peterson says, how he paraphrases it? Walk with me, I will show you the unforced rhythms of grace. It's like rowing a boat. Imagine if you got out to row a boat. You know that it takes work to gain the momentum and get going. And then every now and then once you get into the rhythm of rowing a boat, you're going to take a rest and your momentum can just carry you. We call that rest Sabbath. You you will get weary, eventually you'll burn out. You won't get to the destination that God has planned for you if you don't regularly rest, but you also have to balance rest and work. And I think this is one of the problems in the church, is that there's a lot of Christians who do a lot of resting and expect a lot of other Christians to do a lot of the work In God's name and we go yay look at all the things that we did in the name of Jesus and you know what Jesus says about the people who say yay look at all of the things that we did in the name of Jesus but they don't actually themselves do any of the work at the end of that story it ends like this these people get to heaven and Jesus says I never actually knew you so you can't come in because you weren't in really to begin with because this kingdom is an invitation to rest and work. But there's a lot of other Christians who go, oh yeah, I'm called into ministry. I'm going to give my entire life. And they work, 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 work. And they actually create codependent cultures where we say, like ministers say this all the time, we say, oh, you just sit down and I'll do all of the work of ministry. Like we'll, we'll do all of the pastoring and shepherding and all the ministry conversations. And we work ourselves to death spiritually and then eventually physically. And then weirdly, a lot of us when we die... Bitter, blame the church for sucking us dry instead of balancing work and rest. See, we can be wrong on both ends of the spectrum because God wants us to do both work and rest. There will be a day when all of the work will end, all of the tears will dry up, all of the death will stop happening, and we will just get to rest and party and enjoy eternity with God. But friends, a day has not yet come. And so until it, has, until it comes, we need to work. Because you're a minister of the gospel. You've been set free. Go and tell other people about how you've been set free. You also need to work in your job. like Work hard as a steward of the gifts and the talents and the resources that God has given you to set an example for others of what it looks like to honor God in your physical work. But we also need to rest. We need spiritual rest from the work of trying to earn God's grace and favor. And we need regular physical rest from all work. I have said the word Sabbath today a lot. And I want to say again today that Sabbath is a gift for you. And God believes in this gift so much that he made it a command. Now, I want among the things that you walk out of here with today, I want to invite you to think about what it means that God would say, if you don't practice Sabbath, a regular day of rest from all the things that you consider work, so that you can enjoy God and his presence and all of the blessings that he's given you, if you don't practice Sabbath regularly, regularly means once a week, one day a week, God would actually say, You're not honoring him. He would go so far as to say, You're living in sin. And friends, we are terrible at Sabbath in America. We're terrible at it because we think that to be righteous is to be busy. And that's not true. To be righteous is to be with Jesus, yeah. to sit. To work when he tells us to work, where he tells us to work, and how he tells us to work for as long as he tells us to work. And then when he invites us to rest, we rest. And we don't make excuses for why we can't. We don't make a religion for why it is so pious for us to work seven days a week. It is unrighteous for us to work seven days a week. We rest. We rest. Listen one last time as we wrap up to Jesus' invitation. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I wanna offer you three points of prayer today as we end this time in the most appropriate way, coming to the Jesus, the God, the King, the Savior, who invites us to rest. Would you just for a moment close your eyes with me? And I wanna ask you three questions that are each gonna be designed to lead you to a point of prayer. The question number one is, are you weary from the weight of the world, the weight of your own sin, or even from the weight of your religious activity. The invitation is to come to Jesus who offers you rest and the prayer that I'd invite you to pray, even now, is to repent of any sin and ask you to offer, ask you, ask Jesus to offer you healing in any places of anxiety or depression or pain or fear. So Jesus, we come to you today now in this moment, we want to be people who can enter into your rest. We know that that has eternal ramifications, that there is an eternity of rest waiting for us, but we want to enter into the rest that you offer us even now, in the places where we have been running, trying to run from you or run for you, that we would be people who could rest in you sitting in your presence even now in this moment Lord begin to do a work in our hearts where we would understand what it means to just be okay because we are known by you that it is enough to be known by you to sit with you God we hand over our burdens to you as you respond to our heaviness we thank you that you care more deeply and better then we could care for our needs ourselves. The second question I want to ask you today is if you are stagnant and are you in need of doing kingdom work? That's not me accusing you of being lazy. That's me asking you a question. Are you stagnant? The invitation is to come to Jesus who calls you to yoke yourself to his work. So I'd invite you now to pray for passion and clarity about the work that he would call you to. Jesus, would you open our eyes to the way that you've created us? Would you open our hearts to the work that you've called us to? And God, we commit to do your work, your way, in your timing. Thank you for the privilege to be workers in your field. And third, I want to ask you this. Do you find yourself trapped under the weight of performative religion? Come back to the freedom in the spirit of God. Again, I'd invite you to take a moment and repent of any way that you have made your faith about your own comfort or your own glory. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there is often a need for us to repent. If there's anything now in this moment that you would need to say to Jesus, I invite you to say these these words. Jesus, we repent. Jesus, heal my heart, take my burden. I receive your rest. And I receive your call to your work. And finally, God, I would pray this blessing over my friends today. Life Church, may you receive true rest in Jesus. May you come fully alive in working with Jesus. May you learn to live and walk in the rhythm of God's grace and mercy. May you be a person of peace, extending Jesus' invitation into his rest and his work. And may you be a blessing. Amen.